Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Battles of Americans of a War, which I was banging dang on to the big, big battle of the year of 1864. Finally, some action happening here. Can you believe it? We got real armies uh, facing each other. None, none of that uh, army of the Tennessee bullshit. An army of the Arkansas or wherever the hell we were at. Somewhere. Uh, Arkansas, yeah. And Louisiana. That shit. Onto the big guys, Grant. His first test as uh, taking over the Army Army. Army Army. There's a mission destroy Robert E. Lee and the Army of Northern Virginia at all costs. And by God, he will. Mm. Yes, sir. We got the Battle of the Wilderness, May 7th or 5th through 7th, 1864. First battle of Ulysses S. Grant's 1864 Virginia Overland Campaign against Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia which occurred in a wooded area near Locust Grove, Virginia, about 20 miles west of Fredericksburg. These poor towns, they had about four, what, two months to recover. Now they're just, like, back at it again. Yep. Crazy. Before we get into it, go check out our YouTube at Bang Dang Network. All of our podcasts that we do, including Outlaws, Gunslingers, Battles of American Civil War, Lee and Corey on a Case, and our exclusive YouTube-only Dart League over there. If you listen to Spotify, Apple, give us a subscription review and share us with your friends. Spotify, comment on the uh, comment thing that's on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, do it. Um, yeah, Battle of the Wilderness. This is a big, big one. It's actually top five in the whole war in terms of casualties. So that's what they say. Lots of uh, lots of stuff going on here in the three years since fighting in the American Civil War began. 1861, the United States Army, a.k.a. the Union, made little progress against the Confederate Army in Eastern Theater. Union Army's most impressive successes came in the Western Theater, especially at the Battle of Vicksburg, where nearly 30,000 Confederates surrendered. Oh. Abraham Lincoln wanted a military leader who would fight 
Because as we know, everybody that's uh, controlled the Pot- Army of the Potomac this far, I don't want to pursue. No. I don't want to do anything. I'm just going to retreat. Right. All of them. Sickening. Uh, yeah, pretty bad stuff there. Uh, Meade and McAllister or McKernan. Meade still our Army of the Potomac commander here. McLernan and uh, McClellan. Well, McLernan, McLennan, um, when they're like Burnside, and there's just like, there's like literally seven or eight of them. Sickening. Halleck ain't no better. Well, he's the big, big guy. All right. March 1864. Major General Ulysses S. Grant was summoned from the Western Theater, promoted to Lieutenant General, given command of all Union armies. President Grant was a Union commander <laughs> at Vicksburg and also had major victories at Fort Henry. Fort Donaldson, Shiloh, Chattanooga. I mean, only four of the f- well, five of the biggest wars or right. battles won in the entire war. But crazy, yeah. uh, he chose to make his headquarters with the Army of Potomac. Although Major General George Meade retained formal command of that army, he did. That's a smart move, Matt. He was like, man, I'm still but- Meade's still running right. shit, but he's there to oversee everything. Right. Less stress, right? More time to drink. <laughs> <laughs> Major General William Tecumseh Sherman. He succeeded Grant in command of most of the Western armies. And he did pretty damn good for yeah. himself there, didn't he? Not too bad. Uh, Grant believed that the Eastern and Western Union armies were too uncoordinated in their actions and that the previous practice of conquering and guarding new territories required too many resources. Right. Grant's new strategy was to attack with all forces at the same time, making it difficult for the Confederates to transfer forces from one to another battlefront. Yeah. Clearly. His objective was to destroy the Confederate armies rather than conquering territory. Right. Well, right. Why you conquer, you destroy the armies, you right. already have the territory. Who cares about the territory. The two largest Confederate armies became the two major targets, which yeah. were Robert E. Lee's Robert <laughs> Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia and Joseph E. Johnson's Army of Tennessee. Right. This new strategy pleased President Lincoln very much. Should have done that in the very beginning. Right. Yeah. Grant considered Lee's army the strongest, best-appointed, most confident army in the South. Yeah, I would say. Lee was a professional soldier who fought in the Mexican-American War. Beginning of the American Civil War, he rejected an offer to be commander of the United States Army. He was considered a master tactician in individual battles and had the advantage of fighting mostly on familiar territory, which is Virginia. Although the old rebel army had fewer resources and men than the old Union, Lee had made good use of railroads to move his forces from one point to another. I mean, sounds pretty good to me, right? I think they are all using the railroad. By the uh, time Grant, well, right. not in the. That's what the rebels had an advantage because we're fighting on their territory, that's so true. we didn't have their railroads. By the time Grant appeared in Eastern Theater, the old rebel armies knew that his six predecessors all failed against Lee. And believed that Grant's successes in the Western Theater were against inferior opponents. They're like, Psh, nobody can take down Lee. This guy was fighting nobody out there in the West. Right. Like, you guys ain't even seen nothing yet. Man, dude, if Stonewall's still around, though. <laughs> well, I don't know. He was, he was getting a little lazy there. Right. Uh, Grant's plan for Meade's Army of the Potomac was to move south to confront Lee's army between the Union and Confederate capital, which were Washington and Richmond. At the same time, General Benjamin Butler's Army of the James, never heard of this before, this is the first. When did this form? Army of the James. We have literally never had this ever. Just became active in April. All right. Well, at the same time, General Benjamin Butler's new Army of the James would approach Richmond, Petersburg, and Lee from the southeast near the James River. Major General Franz Siegel's, or Seigel's Army of the Shenandoah would move through the Shenandoah Valley and destroy the rail line. Oh. That's a new army, too. Uh, agricultural infrastructure and granaries used to feed the Confederate armies. 
Oh, there man. you go. Got three lines of attack right there. Tear him down. Tear him down. Brigadier General George Crook and William W. Averell. Averell. They would attack in Virginia and Tennessee Railroad and salt mines and lead mines. And they did that in Western Virginia before moving east to Seigel, to join Seigel. Scheumann, he would attack Georgia with a similar goal of destroying rail line, resources, and infrastructure used to equip and feed the old rebel armies. Ulysses S. Grant's campaign objective of the destruction of Lee's army coincided with the premises of both Lincoln and his military chief of staff, old Henry Halleck. He's like, yes, finally, this is what we've been asking for since literally 1861, guys. Right. <laughs> well, they knew that. They just couldn't do anything because it was the politics and the money. Like, we got the plan. We just need to wait to the right time. Grant instructed old Meade, Lee's army will be your objective point. Wherever Lee goes, there you will go. Awesome. Uh, although he hoped for a quick, decisive battle. Come on, Grant. We know better than that. Right. Grant was prepared to fight a war of attrition. Both the Union and Confederate casualties could be high. What? Right. But the Union had greater resources to replace lost soldiers and equipment. Right. By May 2nd, Grant had four corps positioned to begin Meade's portion of Grant's plan against Lee. Three of the Corps, plus cavalry, composed Meade's Army of the Potomac. Fourth Corps reported directly to Grant, addition, added additional firepower. So oh. Now he's got his own. Nice. The Rapidon River divided the two foes, which they usually did. A few days later, Grant and Meade would cross the river and begin what became known as the Overland Campaign, with this very battle of the wilderness being its first. Oh. And boy, was it a, a pretty good opening battle. It was a battle. The Union forces in the Battle of the Wilderness was the Army of Potomac and a separate Ninth Corps. The Army of Potomac commanded Major General George Meade, and Major General Ambrose Burnside was commander of the Ninth Corps. Both Meade and Burnside reported to Grant, who rode with Meade and his army. Meade's like this son of a bitch. Right. <laughs> uh, the Second Corps was the largest of the Corps, with 28,333 soldiers Damn. as of April 30th, 1864. At the beginning of the campaign in May, Grant's Union forces told 118,700 men, 316 artillery pieces, a.k.a. guns, <laughs> right? Um, including Meade's Army of the Potomac and Burnside's Ninth Corps. Right. Dang, 118 mofos. They also had the Second Corps, which was commanded by Major General Winfield S. Hancock, which consisted of four divisions of infantry. This was Meade's premier fighting unit. Unit. They had the Fifth Corps, commanded by Major General Gouverneur K. Warren. He had four divisions of infantry. Sixth Corps had three divisions and was commanded by Major General John Sedgwick. Got the Cavalry Corps, which newly commanded by Major General Philip Sheridan, and he had three divisions. Third Division's 5th New York Cavalry Regiment was armed with seven-shot Spencer carbines Ooh. and was the 1st Brigade of the 1st Division, which was known as the Michigan Brigade. Hey, that's fantastic. Hey. Right, go blue. <laughs> Additional men. What if they... <laughs> that was their battle song. That would be awesome. Additional men in Meade's army that were not part of the four corps were from the provost guard, a small group of guards and orderlies, and portions of artillery not assigned to any corps. No, they're just like, hey, man, we're here. We're here for help, wherever you need us, bud. The Ninth Corps, commanded by Burnside, consisted of four divisions of infantry, each with its own artillery. Oh, yeah. oh, fantastic. Burnside also had reserve artillery and two regiments of cavalry. Oh, nice. Only about 6,000 men in the Ninth Corps were seasoned veterans. Oh, uh, like Burnside, you can come along. Right. But <laughs> sorry for you, buddy. You and your rookies. Right. Uh, the Confederate force, meanwhile, in the battle was the Army of Northern Virginia, obviously. And uh, Lee's total troops 
totaled to 66,140 men, including staff and men in the artillery. That's crazy. Each corps had three divisions plus artillery, except the first corps, which only had two divisions. Third corps was the largest of 22,675 men, plus another 1,910 for artillery. Fantastic. Wow. Wow. First corps was commanded by Lieutenant General James Longstreet. He's like, thank you. Right. Back to Daddy Lee. (laughs) This was Lee's elite fighting unit. Second Corps, commanded by Richard S. Ewell, General. Uh, Third Corps was commanded by Lieutenant General Ambrose A.P. Hill. Cavalry Corps was commanded by Major General James Ewell Brown Stewart, which was old Jeb. Old Jeb. Old Jeb. Still around. Well, finally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the wilderness, located south of the Rapidon River in Virginia, Spotsylvania County, and Orange County. Southern border is the Spotsylvania Courthouse, which will uh, be very important coming up. And western border is usually considered the Rapidon River tributary uh, mine run. Its eastern border is less definite, causing estimates of the size of the wilderness to vary. Oh. While the maximum area for the wilderness is 132 square miles to 156 square miles, historians discussing the battles fought there typically use 70 square miles. Oh, whatever. At the time of the battle, the region was a patchwork of open areas and vegetation of varying density. Oh. Okay. Just hmm. like you would expect the wilderness to be. Yeah, I'd say, right? Much of the vegetation was a dense second-growth forest consisting of small trees, bushes, shrubs, and pines. Since clearings were scarce and the region had only a few narrow winding roads, mounted cavalry fighting was nearly impossible. Good. The dense woods, often filled with smoke, made it difficult to see enemy soldiers. This was this put attackers at a disadvantage, as soldiers often fired at sounds instead of visual cues. Yeah, that sucks. Infantry units had difficulty keeping alignment and often become lost or were involved in friendly fire incidents. Yeah, I've seen that a lot. The old Rebs had a better knowledge of the terrain, though, and it diminished the Union advantage of greater manpower. Hmm. The terrain also diminished the effectiveness of artillery. I bet. So Grant's like, man, he was aware of how the wilderness made his advantages in size and artillery less effective. I'm sure he would be. And he preferred to move his army further south to fight Lee in open ground. He's like, we got to fight him in open ground. Yeah, we can be tramping around through the woods right can't take that may 2nd lee met with his generals on clark mountain obtaining a panoramic view of the union camps panoramic he He realized that grant was getting ready to attack but did not know the precise route of advance he predicted correctly that grant would cross to the east of the confederate fortifications on the rapidon using the germana and eli roads but he could not be certain Hmm. to retain flexibility to response lee had dispersed his army over a wide area Longstreet's first corps was around Gordonsville from where they had the flexibility to respond by a railroad to potential threats to the Shenandoah Valley or to Richmond. Oh. Hill's third corps was outside Orange Courthouse. Ewell's second corps was near Morton's Ford and Mine Run northeast of Hill. And Stewart's cavalry was scattered further south from Gordonsville to Fredericksburg. 4th of May, 1864. The Army of the Potomac crossed the Rapidon River three places and converged on the wilderness of Spotsylvania in east-central Virginia. Brigadier General James H. Wilson led his 3rd Cavalry Division across the river at Germana Ford uh, between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. and drove off a small group of Confederate cavalry pickets. After engineers placed pontoon bridges, the 5th Corps and later the 6th Corps crossed safely, which were Warren and Cedric's corps, respectively. Wilson continued south on a Germana plank road toward Wilderness Tavern and the Orange Turnpike. He halted at the Wilderness Tavern at noon to wait for the 5th Corps and sent scouts to south and west. And he wanted to drink, too. Right. <laughs> They're not all drinking. <laughs> a few miles east, Brigadier General David M. Gregg. I'll pay attention to this because there's a uh, 
I think there's another David Gregg who fights for the or Confederates in this very same battle. It's confusing, guys. M. Gregg. David M. Gregg, Union, led his 2nd Cavalry Division across the river at Eli's Ford. They tried to capture the nearby Confederate outposts, but the Southerners fled into the darkness. Oh. By 9 a.m., my pontoon bridge was placed across the water, and the 2nd Corps under Hancock began crossing. Gregg's Cavalry moved south to Chancellorsville, where Hancock's men planned to camp. Once Hancock's men began arriving, Greg moved further south to Allrich, near the intersection of the Orange Plank Road. And- With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Catharpian Road. Catharpin? Catharpin Road, where they would protect Hancock and the Army's wagons. Oh, fantastic. Try to, at least, right. I guess. The Ninth Corps on the Burnside remained north of the river, near Germana Ford, with orders to protect the supply train. Although Grant insisted that the Army travel light with minimal artillery and supplies, its supply train was 60 to 70 miles long. <laughs> That's light, huh? Meet well, I mean, there's 66,000 soldiers. So. 70 miles long, dude. That's crazy. You thought trains were wrong, long. Right. Imagine waiting for a supply train. <laughs> oh, my. Meade had an estimated 4,300 wagons, 835 ambulances, and a herd of cattle. The supply train crossed the Rapidon at Eli's and uh, Culpeper Mine Fords. Well, think about that. They also had a herd of cattle that they... Right, they had cowboys, too. That's retarded, dude. You gotta, you gotta get those guys. At Culpeper Mine Ford, it was guarded by Brigadier General Alfred T.A. Torbert's 1st Cavalry Division of the Old Union. Grant Meade gambled that they could move the army quickly enough to avoid being ensnared in the wilderness, but Meade halted the 2nd and 5th Corps to allow the wagon train to catch up. I mean, you got to have that wagon train right. nearby. At the wilderness a year earlier, Lee defeated the Army of the Potomac in the Battle of Chancellorsville, which we remember well, despite having an army less than half the size of the Union Army. Right. Much of the fighting at that time occurred slightly east of the Union Army's current route. Having already scared a victory one year ago in similar circumstances, Lee hoped to fight Grant in the wilderness again. Right. However, Lee needed Longstreet's First Corps to be in position to fight before the battle started. Mm-hmm. As Grant's plan became clear to Lee on the 4th of May, 1864... Lee arranged his forces to use the advantages of the wilderness. He needed a second and third corps to delay Grant's army until Longstreet's first corps could get in place. Ewell's second corps was sent east on the Orange Turnpike, reaching Robertson's Tavern at Locust Grove. His column, his lead column, camped about two miles from the unsuspecting bluecoats that were marching towards them. Hill was sent east on the Orange Plank Road, Oh, east on the orange plank road. Stop that, Hamlet. 
Louver to Yearsville. <laughs> it was sent east on the Orange Plank Road and stopped at a hamlet of New Vediasville. Hill had two of his three divisions. The division commanded by Major General Richard Anderson was left at Orange Courthouse to guard the river. These two corps were to avoid battle, if possible, until Longstreet's first corps arrived. That evening, Lee decided that Ewell and Hill should strike first, preserving the initiative. Longstreet would arrive a day later, or Ewell and Hill could retreat west to Mine Run if necessary. Orders were sent around 8 p.m. to move early in the morning. Said, it's on now, boys. On. The wilderness was precariously unsuitable for the operations of cavalry. Covered in every direction with dense thickets that were impenetrable to horsemen and intersected by few and narrow paths which permitted of the movement only in a long, extended, and thin columns. Brigadier General James H. Wilson, 3rd Cavalry Division. At Wilderness Tavern, Wilson <laughs> sent a small force west on the Orange Turnpike. After the head of the 5th Corps reached Wilderness Tavern around 11 a.m., Wilson continued south. He arrived at Parker's store near the Orange Plank Road at 2 p.m. Scouts were sent south to Catharpin Road and west to Mine Run where they found only small enemy squads. During that time, his squad on the Orange Turnpike skirmished with Confederate soldiers near Robertson's Tavern, which was Locust Grove. Soon when they were fighting with a small group of Confederate pickets, they withdrew and by evening... Why are you withdrawing if you're only assuming Confederate pickets? Right. Uh, but by evening, they rejoined the division at Parker's store. Meade's original plan was to have Tobert's 1st Cavalry join Wilson, but he received an erroneous report that the Confederate Cavalry was operating in his army's rear, which is in the direction of Fredericksburg. Uh-oh. Here we go again. Mm, that, okay, hear that news. He's like, all right, 1st, 2nd Cavalry Divisions, move east to deal with that perceived threat, will ya? leaving only Wilson's division to screen for uh, three corps. Mm. Wilson had little experience with cavalry, and the third division was the smallest of the three cavalry divisions, though. Meade believed that Lee would fight from behind, which was west of the mine run, and aligned his army north to south from Germana Ford to Shady Grove Church while it spent the night in the wilderness. This change of plans by the Union leadership did not soil the army well. Not only were the Union forces spending the night in the wilderness... Lax cavalry patrols were causing leadership to be unaware of the proximity of Lee's second corps, which was Ewell. Mm. Mm. Battle had two distinct fronts, the Orange Turnpike and the Orange Plank Road, where most of the fighting was conducted by infantry. Any efforts to bridge the gap between those two fronts did not last long. Most of the cavalry fighting occurred south of the infantry, especially along Catharpin Road and Brock Road. Oh. 5 a.m. May 5th, Wilson's division proceeded southward from Parker's store. The 5th New York Cavalry, commanded by Lieutenant Colonel John Hammond, was detached and instructed to patrol west of the Parker store area until relieved by Warren's 5th Corps. All right, what are you going to do there? Some stuff. A probe west on the Orange Plank Road discovered Confederate soldiers. Despite being reinforced, the old Blue Coats probe was driven back toward Parker's store. It was soon discovered that they were fighting infantry from most of the Hills 3rd Corps. Of the Hills, AP Hills. Hammond's total force consisted of about 500 men. Hammond understood that the dense woods and large infantry force made fighting on horseback inadvisable. The command fought dismounted and spread out as a skirmish line while utilizing their Spencer repeating rifles. Man, they got those, though. That's pretty good. The regiment slowly retreated east, moving toward and beyond Parker's store on the Orange Plank Road. Once the old Rebs advanced east of Parker's store, the remainder of Wilson's cavalry was cut off from Meade and Warren's 5th Corps. Uh-oh, that's not good. 6 a.m. May 5th, Warren's 5th Corps began moving south over farm lanes towards the Parker store. Confederate infantry was observed in the west near the Orange Turnpike, and Meade was notified. 
Grant instructed, if any opportunity presents itself of pitching into a part of Lee's army, do so without giving time for disposition. Meade halted his army and directed Warren to attack, assuming that the Confederates were a division and not an entire infantry corps. Right. Hancock was held at Todd's Tavern. What? Well, he's getting drunk. <laughs> yeah, damn right. Although Meade told Grant that the threat was probably a delaying attack without the intent to give battle, he stopped his entire army anyhow, the exact thing Lee wanted him to do. Uh... The Confederate force was Ewell's second corps. His men erected earthworks on the western end of the clearing, known as Sanders Saunders Field. Ewell's instructions from Lee were to not advance too fast, since his corps was out of the reach of Hill's third corps. And Longstreet's first corps was not yet at the battlefield, of course. Why? Once again, Longstreet, not where he's supposed to be, unless he wasn't even close to Lee this whole time. He had to have been, right? At noon, Meade had two fronts and no help from cavalry. Warren approached the eastern end of Saunders Field with the division of Brigadier General Charles Griffin along the road on the right and the division of Brigadier General James Wadworth on the left. Brigadier General Samuel Crawford's division was too far away on the left near Chewing Chuning Farm, oh. and the division of Brigadier General John Robinson was in reserve closer to Wilderness Tavern. Okay. Took time to align Warren's division, and there was some concern about Griffin's northern, which was the right flank. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What are you going to do? You These guys just can't seem to get their flanks in order. They're always messing up their flanks. Right, that's right. A major problem was that once a division left the roads or fields, it disappeared utterly, and its commander could not tell whether it was in the line with others. Hmm? Brigadier General Horatio Wright's 1st Division from Sedgwick's 6th uh, Corps began to move south on the Germana Plank Road to Spotswood Road to protect Warren's right. Warren, he requested a delay from attacking to wait for Wright. By 12 p.m., by high noon, Meade was frustrated by the delay and ordered Warren to attack before Sedgwick's Sixth Corps could arrive. He said, come on, man. Right. Don't you see who's watching over me right now? <laughs> Warren's-, <laughs> Grant's just sitting there. Like- Warren's troops arrived at Saunders Field around 1 p.m. The Confederate Division of Major General Edward Johnson was positioned on the Orange Turnpike west of Sanders Field, Saunders Field, and it also guarded the Spotswood Road route of Sedgwick. Behind Johnson and further south was the division. <laughs> Isn't of that, uh, uh, Lord of the Rings book or something? What? The um, Spotswood Road south of Sedgwick. <laughs> <laughs> like the Lord of the Rings season four or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Behind Johnson and further south was the division of Major General Robert E. Rhodes, while the division of Major General Jubu Early waited further and west in reserve. Robert E. Rhodes, huh? That's cool. Yeah. By the time the Union line arrived near the enemy, it had numerous gaps, and some regiments faced north instead of west. The concerns about Warren's right flank were justified. Griffin's division advanced. Airy's brigade held the right, but had difficulty maintaining his lines in a blizzard of lead. They received enfilading fire on their right from the brigade of uh, rebel Brigadier General Leroy Stafford. Leroy! <laughs> causing all but two regiments, 140th and 146th New York, to retreat. East across Saunders Field. They ain't getting their ass hand to him right now. All right, on the left of Ares, Ares, whatever his name is, the brigade of Brigadier General Joseph Bartlett made better progress and overran the position of Confederate Brigadier General John Jones, who was killed. Mm. However, since Ares' men were unable to advance, Bartlett's right flank was now exposed to attack, and his brigade was forced to flee back across the clear. I bet they were. Bartlett's horse was shot out from under him, and he barely escaped capture. Oh, shit. Get the hell out of here. I can just picture him... No, somebody almost is grabbing him while he's running. And he's like, not today. Mm. The left flank of Botlet was Wildsworth's Iron Brigade. 
which was composed of regiments from the Midwest, commanded by Brigadier General Lynn Sander uh, Cutler. The Iron Brigade advanced through woods south of Saunders Field, contributed to the collapse of Jones Brigade while capturing battle flags and taking prisoners. However, the Iron Brigade outdistanced Bartlett's men, exposing the Midwesterners' right flank. Mm. The O-Ribs Brigade under Brigadier General uh, George Doles attacked the exposed flank, and the Iron Brigade 6th Wisconsin Infantry suffered nearly 50 casualties and only a few mementos. Down. Man. Soon the Confederate Brigade of Brigadier General John Gordon joined in on the attack, tearing through the Union line and forcing the Iron Brigade to break and retreat. Further to the Union left, near the Higgerson Farm, the Union Brigade of Colonel Roy Stone was ambushed in waist-high swamp water. Oh, shit. And the survivors fled northeast to the fields of the Lacey House, a.k.a. the Elwood Manor. Uh, one soldier blamed the fiasco on the gap between Stone's Brigade and the Iron Brigade. On Wadsworth's farthest left, the Brigade of Brigadier General James Rice suffered severe losses when the North Carolina Brigade, commanded by Brigadier General Junius Daniel, got around Rice's unprotected left. Oh. Told you. I was having trouble with the flanks, man. Mm-hmm. Dang. Should be a movie. Right. The problem was compounded with, uh, the problem was compounded when Stone's Brigade fell back from Rice's right. Rice's survivors were chased by Daniel's men from the old ribs, and they chased them back to Lacey's house, where the 5th Corps artillery was used to slow the pursuing real rebels. The quick fight over the guns resulted in casualties for both sides, obviously. Rice's losses were severe, including two of his five regimental commanders. That's not good. They were wounded, though. Suddenly, to the horror of the living, fire was seen creeping over the ground, fed by dead leaves which were thick. All who could move tried to get beyond the pike, which the fire could not cross. Some were overtaken by the flames. Mm. Unnamed soldier. Unnamed wounded soldier of the 7th Indiana Infantry. Further south, Crawford's 1st Brigade, commanded by Colonel William McCandless, did not reach the fight in time to help Wadsworth left. No. The brigade became surrounded by Confederates, and its 7th Pennsylvania Reserve Regiment was captured. Oh, shit. Crawford was in danger. I'm in danger. <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> of having the remaining portion of his division cut off. Oh. So it withdrew towards the Lacey House while the Confederates occupied the tuning farm. Oh. Back at the Saunders Field. Back at Saunders <laughs> Back at Saunders Field. <laughs> Warren had ordered an artillery section in the Saunders Field to support his attack, but it was captured by Confederate soldiers who were pinned down oh. and prevented by rifle fire from moving the guns. Oh, shit. They got a stuff of war going on uh, here. They got themselves uh, almost a route they're about to face if they don't fucking turn their shit around. Wow. In the midst of the hand-to-hand combat at the guns... The field caught fire, and men from both sides were shocked as that, their wounded that, comrades. That quote you read was a little, little uh, premature. <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. And men, both men from both sides, were shocked as their wounded boined mm. to death in that fire. Damn. The first phase of fighting on the Orange Turnpike was over by two thirty p.m. Two thirty. The lead elements of Sedgwick's Sixth Corps reached Saunders Field around three. Wright commanded the renewal of fighting until Sedgwick arrived around 3.30 p.m. The fighting was now in the woods, north of the turnpike, and both sides traded attacks and counterattacks. Ewell held his position for the remainder of the afternoon. During the fracas, or the fray, Confederate Brigadier General Leroy Stafford was shot through the shoulder blade, the bullet severing his spine. Despite being paralyzed from the waist down and in agonizing pain, he managed to still urge his troops forward. He died four days later. Oh, poor guy. Damn, he was probably laying on the ground. Go give him hell, boys. Do it for the Gipper. (laughs) (laughs) Do it for Stafford. (laughs) Crawford sent 13th Pennsylvania. Visibility was limited near Orange Plank Road, and officers had difficulty controlling men and maintaining formations. 
Attackers would move blindly and noisily forward, becoming targets for concealed defenders. Unable to duplicate the surprise that was achieved by Ewell on the turnpike, A.P. Hill's approach was detected from the Chuning Farm location of Crawford's 3rd Division of the Old Union of the 5th Corps. Crawford, he notified Meade, and this message arrived at Meade's headquarters at around 10.15 a.m. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, Crawford then sent the 13th Pennsylvania Reserve Regiment, a.k.a. the Bucktails, oh. as skirmishers towards Hill. But Hammond's line was falling apart before the Bucktails arrived near the Orange Plank Road. Crawford did not support his Pennsylvanians and instead worked to solidify his position at the tuning farm oh. and get ready to assist in the Orange Turnpike fighting. Right. By the time this was accomplished, Hammond was beyond helping. Oh. Meade's army was in danger. Oh, no. <laughs> if Hill could push Hammond beyond Brock Road and take control of the intersection, which was Orange Plank and Brock Roads, that would cause Warren's 5th Corps to have large enemy forces on two sides, oh. and Hancock's 2nd Corps could get isolated from the rest of Meade's you army. Getting Jeez, and then you're thinking of uh, retreat. <laughs> they better... Not only retreat, but you probably just lost fifteen to 20,000 men uh, surrendered. You ain't kidding. Although Hancock was not far from the intersection of Orange Plank Road and Brock Road, he would have to move four miles on a twisting road that was narrow wagon route. Man, that sucks. The 6th Corps Lead Division of Brigadier General George W. Getty was waiting at Wilderness Tavern. So at about 10.30 a.m., Meade sent it to defend the important intersection until Hancock could be there. Hammond's 500-man cavalry force, employing repeating carbines and uh, fighting dismounted, succeeded in slowing Hill's approach. That's some repeating rifles, man. That's what gets you. However, Hammond's small force was vastly outnumbered and continued to gradually retreat east. Yeah, Lee established his headquarters at the Widow Tap Farm. Lee, Jeb Stewart, and Hill were meeting there when they were surprised by a party of Union soldiers entering the clearing. Oh, shit. The three generals ran for safety, and the Union men were equally surprised by the encounter returned to the woods, unaware of how close they had come to changing the course of history. You ain't kidding. They could have got all three right there. Right there. The the war would have been over. Damn, they're like, ah! They were like, like, ah! It was like the Santa commercial. (laughs) They do exist. (laughs) Uh, uh, By noon, Hill had the division of Major General Henry Heath past the Widow Tap Farm, and the division of Major General Cadmus Wilcox followed near Parker's store. Mm. Wow. Close call there, guys. Right. Hammond was nearly out of ammo and was eventually pushed back to the vital intersection around noon, but was relieved by Getty's advance brigade just before Hill's forces had arrived. Hammond's forces moved further east behind Getty and was done fighting. <laughs> they were done with this shit. Uh, because Hammond's repeating rifles, the Confederate prisoners stated they believed they had been fighting an entire brigade. Yeah, man, they're just boom, 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 boom. Getty's men skirmished briefly with Heath's advance and held the intersection. Oh, look at you, bud. Well, Getty held the intersection for hours waiting for Hancock's second corps to arrive. By 3.30 p.m., initial elements of Hancock's corps were arriving, and Meade ordered Getty to assault the Confederate line. Oh, shit. Getty attacked at 4.15 p.m. while elements of Hancock's 2nd Corps began arriving shortly thereafter. Getty was reinforced by Hancock's men, while Confederate Commander Heath was reinforced by Wilcox's division. Uh Uh-oh. 
The fighting was fierce, with casualties for the brigade commanded by Brigadier General Alexander Hayes particularly high, oh. including Hayes himself, who was killed while addressing his 63rd Pennsylvania Infantry. Damn. Attacks and counterattacks continued into the night as casualties grew with neither side gaining an advantage. Oh, shit. Getty's division was relieved by the Second Corps after dark, and Getty's horse was killed in the day's oh, fighting. Oh, leave the horses alone. It's almost as bad as losing a man, man. Right, man. Man. Leaving Hammonds. <laughs> leaving Hammonds Regiment at Parker Store at 5 a.m. on the 5th of May. Wilson moved his two brigades south. His second brigade led the way, and it was commanded by Colonel George H. Chapman. His first brigade was commanded by Colonel Timothy M. Bryan. <laughs> Chapman reached Catharpin Road and moved west. Beyond Craig's, Craig's. Beyond Craig's <laughs> mean Craig's. point, meeting house, <laughs> uh, moved west behind Craig's uh, meeting house, where he found 1,000 men from the Old Reb Cavalry Brigade, commanded by Brigadier General Thomas L. Roser. After initially driving Rosier back, both of Wilson, Roser, <laughs> after initially driving Roser back. Both Wilson's brigades fled east after finding Hill's infantry on the north oh, side. Oh, shit. They're like, oh. They're like, oh, shit. And Ross's cavalry on the Catharpin Road in their south side. Eight, south side, bitches. Right. <laughs> 18th Pennsylvania Cavalry Regiment was the rear guard, and it became surrounded on both all three sides. The regiment left the road and blended into the woods and a swamp. And a swamp. While Wilson's division battled Rosser, Sheridan's other two cavalry divisions were further east. Around noon, Meade notified Sheridan that Wilson had been cut off, and Gregg's 2nd Cavalry Division was sent to explore the Catharpin Road. Gregg found Wilson and confronted Rosser, who was driven back across the Poe River Bridge. In late afternoon, Gregg also fought Major General Fitzhugh Lee's Cavalry Division on the Brock Road near Alsop. At nightfall, Rosser sat on the high ground west of the Poe River Bridge. Lee's men camped near Alsop, and Wilson's exhausted division camped north and east of Todd's Tavern. Wilson was surprised that evening when the 18th Pennsylvania Cavalry, thought to be captured, rejoined the division. Well, at, least they, like, hey. at least they didn't run away. They're like, sons of bitches, what oh, happened to you guys? guys? Gone. All right. During that very night, Greg remained at Todd's Tavern. whiskey. <laughs> Wilson put Chapman's brigade on Brock Road. And the brigade of George Armstrong Custer from Torbert's division began moving to relieve Wilson. While the remaining portion of Torbert's division was south of Chancellorsville at Alrich, Torbert checked into a hospital and Brigadier General Wellesley Merritt assumed command of the division. Hmm. Why did Torbert check in at the hospital? He got wounded. Oh, poor guy. Grant's plan for May 6th was to resume the attacks at 5 a.m. Um, yeah. Sedgwick and Warren would renew their attack on Ewell at Orange Turnpike and Hancock and Getty would attack Hill again on the Orange Plank Road. At the same time, an additional force of men currently stationed around the Lacey House would move south and attack Hill's exposed northern flank. Right. Wadsworth requested leadership of this force, and it consisted of his division plus a fresh brigade from Robinson's division, commanded by Brigadier General Henry Baxter. Adding to Wadsworth, two divisions from Burnside's 9th Corps were to move through the area between the Turnpike and the Plank Road and move south to Flank Hill. A.P. Hill, not A. Hill. Uh, Hill's weary men spent the I knew you were going to say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Hills weary men. Uh, uh, Hills weary men spent the evening of the fifth of May and the early morning hours of the sixth of May arresting with little line integrity and some regiments separated from the brigades. Well, they arrested right on where they had fought. The men from Heath's division were generally on the north side of the Orange Plank Road, while the men from Wilcox's division were mostly on the south side. Although he was aware that Hill's front line along the Orange Plank Road needed to be reformed, Lee chose to allow Hill's men to rest where they were. 
assuming that Longstreet's first corps and Hill's remaining division, commanded by Major General Anderson, would arrive in time to relieve Heath and Wilcox. Longstreet's men had marched 32 miles in 24 hours, but were still 10 miles from the battlefield. All right. Once Longstreet's men arrived, Lee planned to shift Hill to the left to cover some of the open ground between his divided forces. Longstreet calculated that he had sufficient sufficient time to allow his men, tired from marching all day, to rest in the First Corps to not resume until 1 a.m. This is just ridiculous. They're in a full-fledged battle, and yet your biggest uh, threat of an army is 32 freaking miles away. That's dumb. They even said at the beginning of this dumb. that this was Lee's most fierce fighting right. force. Too. Right. And they're all doing this to set up for Longstreet's arrival, and right. it's dumb. They didn't resume marching until 1 a.m. Jeez. Moving cross-country in the dark, they made slow progress and lost their way at times, and oh. by sunrise had not reached their designated position. I, I bet, they, I bet I they didn't. Jeez, oh, Peter Weeder. During that very night, Ewell places artillery on his extreme left and on both sides of the orange turnpike. He also had an abatis in front of his trench line. He attacked Sedgwick on the north side of the turnpike, 4.45 a.m. His line moved forward and then back on multiple occasions. And some ground was fought over as much as five times. Mm. To the very south on Orange Plank Road, Hancock's 2nd Corps with Getty's division attacked Hill at about 5 a.m. AP's like, no. Damn, dude, they're starting early. Overwhelming the ill-prepared 3rd Corps in concert with uh, uh, Wadsworth. All right. Following Hill's orders, Lieutenant Colonel William T. Poags, Pogues, 12 guns at the Widow Tap Farm fired tirelessly at the road, despite the Confederate soldiers retreating in front of the guns. Oh, Oh, jeez. This slowed the Union advance, but could not stop it. Right. While Hill's Corps retreated, reinforcements arrived. Longstreet rode ahead of his men and arrived at the battlefield around 6 a.m. Well, he says, I'm here, bitches. Right. He's like, I'm here. Where's, Where's the 50,000 men? <laughs> yeah, they're back. His men marched east and then turned north, arriving on the Orange Plank Road near Parker Store, where they found men from Hill's Corps retreating. Oh, they're like, you pussies. Well, you get in there. Like, nah, we got to rest. <laughs> right, we just been marching. <laughs> we walk past the Union guys. Hey, man, we're resting. <laughs> Time out. Brigadier General John Greggs, his Texas brigade, was the vanguard of Longstreet's column. General Lee, he relieved and excited, uh, waved his hat over his head and shouted, Texans, always move them. And uh, caught up in the excitement, Lee began to move forward behind the advancing brigade. As the Texans realized this, they halted and grabbed the reins of Lee's horse, which was named Traveler, telling the general that they were consigned for his safety and would only go forward if he moved to a less exposed location. This he was ready to get at it. Right, and, and earlier he was running away from a, a, a little right. vision. That's true. <laughs> Longstreet was able to convince Lee that he had matters well in hand, and the commanding general relented. He's like, you're right. He's like, all right. He's like, how come you didn't do that in Tennessee, Longstreet? Right. Starting from near Pogue's guns, Longstreet counterattacked with the divisions of Major General Charles W. Field on the left and Brigadier General Joseph B. Kershaw on the right. Serious attacks by both sides caused the front line to move back and forth between the Widow Tap Farm and Brock Road. Texans leading the charge north of the road fought gallantly at a heavy price. Only 250 of the 800 men emerged unscathed. Wow. Fields' division drove back Wadsworth force on the north side of the Widow Tap Farm while Kershaw's division fought along the road. Although Wadsworth and Rice tried to restore order near the front, most of the troops fled to the Lacey House and were done fighting for the remainder of the battle. They were oh, done with this 10 a.m., Major General Martin L. Smith reported to Longstreet that he had explored an unfinished railroad bed south of Plank Road and that it offered easy access to the Union left flank. Hmm. Longstreet assigned his aide, Lieutenant Colonel Moxley Sorrell, to the task of leading three fresh brigades for a surprise attack. An additional brigade, which was reduced in strength from the morning's fighting, volunteered to join them. 
Sorrell and the senior brigade commander, Brigadier General William Mahoney, uh, struck at 11 a.m. while Longstreet resumed his main attack. Oh, look at that. I wonder if they knew they were going. Well, the Union line was broken and driven back. Oh. Wadsworth was mortally wounded. Oh. Hancock reorganized his line in trenches near the Brock Road. Hancock wrote later that the flanking attack rolled up his line like a wet blanket. Wow. Damn. By noon, a Confederate victory seemed likely. Longstreet rode forward on the Orange Plank Road with several of his officers while another fire caused Mahone's or Mahoney's 12th Virginia Infantry to become separated from its brigade. Oh. An aide suggested that Longstreet was too close to the front, but his advice was disregarded. Oh. As the Virginians moved through the woods back to the road, the brigade mistook them for Union soldiers. Oh, of course they did. And the two Confederate forces began shooting at each other. Of course they did. Longstreet's mounted party was caught in the crossfire, and Longstreet was severely wounded in his neck. Oh, shit. Brigadier General Micah Jenkins, aide-de-camp, uh, Captain Alfred E. Doby, and orderly Marcus Baum were moited. Oh, damn. Longstreet was able to turn over his command directly to Division Commander Field and told him to press the enemy. Burnside finally arrived on the old Reb's northern flank with three brigades and attacked around 2 p.m. Where have you been at, Burnside? What the hell are you thinking, uh, Longstreet? Well, these guys, dude. I wonder how many people were killed from friendly fire. I bet a lot. Well, clearly, <laughs> some of the biggest guys that they have are killed Man, from it. This Idiot. is stupid. His fight. Can't, get, can't while, like, before they see him, like, who is it? All right. They should have, like, cold words or something. All right. I guess Union could get a hold of them and vice versa as well. True. So Burnside's fighting for the day beginning against Colonel William F. Perry's Alabama Brigade was a standoff. Lee organized another attack on Hancock around 4.15 p.m. that Hancock repelled in about an hour. Another fire threatened the wounded in the woods. <laughs> the wounded in the woods. And Hancock's breastworks as fighting on the Orange Plank Road front gradually ended near the evening. The following day, Lee appointed Richard Anderson to temporary command of the 1st Corps. At the Orange Turnpike, inconclusive fighting proceeded for most of the day. During the morning, Gordon scouted the Union line, recommended his division commander, Jubal Early, that he conduct a flanking attack in Sedgwick's right. Early initially dismissed the venture as too risky, and Ewell did not even have enough men to attack until 1 p.m. when the brigade of Brigadier General Robert D. Johnston arrived. Gordon's attack was authorized about 5.30 p.m. Jeez. The attack went well and caused some of the men in the Union Brigade commanded by Brigadier General Alexander Shaler to simply run away. Said, Screw this, I'm done. I'm out. Uh, Shaler and another brigade commander, Brigadier General Truman Seymour, were captured. <laughs> <laughs> Sedgwick was almost captured, and his horse was injured, while the oh. color bearer standing next to him was shot. Oh, I bet. The Union line fell back about a mile while the two generals and several hundred men were captured. Oh, jeez. Oh, Sedgwick is captured. Oh, he's almost captured. So who... Uh, it just still blows my mind that... Wait, Shaler and Seymour were captured, I'm, I'm assuming? Probably. It just blows my mind that there were actually soldiers in the front line just carrying a flag. And beating drums. Right. And bugles and oh shit. Oh, my god! You better not drop it. And if you did drop it, somebody else picks it up right away. Mm -hmm. Fuck you, you're gone. Eventually, the darkness and the dense foliage took their toll as the Union flank received reinforcements and recovered. Sedgwick's line was extended overnight to the Germana Plank Road. Oh, shouldn't have let him uh, do that there, Confederos. Reports of the collapse of this part of the Union line caused great consternation at Grant's headquarters. Caused great constipation. Right. Leading to an interchange that is widely quoted in Grant biographies. An officer accosted Grant, proclaiming, General Grant, this is a crisis that cannot be looked upon too seriously. I know Lee's methods well by past experience. 
he will throw his whole army between us and the Rapidon and cut us off completely from our communications, which Lee will do. Well, Grant seemed to be waiting for such an opportunity and snapped. Oh, I'm heartily tired of hearing about what Lee is going to do. Some of you always seem to think he's suddenly going to turn a double somersault and land in our rear and on both of our flanks at the same time. Go back to your command and try to think what we are going to do ourselves instead of what Lee is going to do. Right? He's like, fuck Lee, pretty much. Right. Fuck that motherfucker. Got, that's why. His How about still concentrate going? on what we're doing and right. not be afraid about what this guy is going to do? It's like, that's why this war's still going, because you guys are so scared of what he's going to do. He's like, you guys are like propping this guy up like he's some fucking mm. uh, superhero. Mm. Mm. Don't give me another here. bottle and get the hell All out right. of here. <laughs> <laughs> Custer's 1st Brigade reached Brock Road about daylight, 6th May, 1864. Custer extending his right toward Can- Hancock and his left toward Gregg's second division at Todd's Tavern. Torbert's second brigade, commanded by Colonel Thomas Devon, began to trip from Chancellorsville to join Custer's right, uh, bringing a battery with him. All right. Han- He's like, hey, man, I know your remote's not been working. Right. <laughs> Hancock's infantry was hard pressed by two divisions from Longstreet's Corps, but he worried about the location of Longstreet's other two divisions. Although Hancock wanted Custer to move down Brock Road to look for Longstreet's other divisions, Custer was attacked after 8 a.m. by Rosser's brigade. The arrival of Devin with his six-gun battery, plus two more guns from Greg, turned the fire into Custer's favor, and Rosser, he backed off. Well, meanwhile, Hancock still did not know what was behind the Confederate cavalry, and he kept a substantial portion of his corps outside of the fighting with Longstreet in order to protect his left. While Custer was fighting, Gregg was fighting Wickham's brigade on the Brock Road near Todd's Tavern. This effectively blocked the Union Army from Spotsylvania Courthouse. Concern after Hancock's left had been turned by Longstreet's surprise attack from the unfinished railroad caused the Union leadership to order the cavalry to withdraw. 2.30 p.m., Gregg was ordered to withdraw to Piney Branch Church, and Custer and Devon were sent further east back to Catherine Furnace. (sighs) That's just... The... Army of the Potomac has to be known by now as they should just be called the Army of Retreaters because that's all they ever do. Right. Man. Crazy. Morning of 7th of May, Grant was faced with the prospect of attacking strong rebel earthquakes. His cavalry was south of the infantry fighting in the Battle of Todd's Tavern. Instead of more infantry attacks, Grant chose to maneuver by moving south on the Brock Road. He hoped to reach the crossroads at Spotsylvania Courthouse, which would interpose with army between Lee and Richmond forcing Lee to fight on the ground more advantage to the uh, Union Army. He ordered preparations for a night march on the 7th of May, 1864, but would reach uh, Spotsylvania 10 miles to the southeast by the morning of the 8th of May. It's a terrible day in the history of America. <laughs> One of the worst. Uh, <laughs> once Lee found out Grant was moving south instead of turning back, he correctly predicted Grant would move to Spotsylvania Courthouse. Lee got his army there first and erected formidable earthworks. Grant's infantry fought the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse before maneuvering yet again nope. as the campaign continued south toward Richmond. Force fires raged. Ammunition trains exploded. The dead were roasted in the conflagration. The wounded, roused by its hot breath, dragged themselves along with their torn and mangled limbs and the mad energy of despair to escape the ravages of the flames. And every bush seemed hung with shreds. Of blood-stained clothing, Lieutenant Colonel Horace Porter, Grant Staff, 1864. With over 28,000 casualties, the Battle of Wilderness ranks in the top five of American war battles in terms of casualties from both sides combined. The official report for the Union listed 2,246 officers and men moited, 12,037 wounded, 3,383 captured or missing, 
A total of 17,666. Whoa. For the union side. Mm. Well, historians note that this number is probably larger Damn since right. a lieutenant witness Warren Lauren the number of casualties reported. Mm-hmm. Other union casualty estimates are typically between 17 and a half and 18,000. Okay. Based on correspondence from Grant, at least six Brigadier Generals were among the Union casualties. Wadsworth and Alexander Hayes were killed. Seymour and Shaler were taken prisoner. And Getty and Bartlett were wounded. Oh, wow. Jeez. And Wadsworth. Uh, Seymour's a prisoner. Wow. Pretty big one, though. Right. Young study reveals Confederate casualties, 1,477 moited, 7,866 wounded, 1,690 missing for a total of... 11,033 casualties. Oh, shit. And then among the wounded are 233 wounded and captured. They are counted here in the wounded total and not double counted in the missing category. Okay. This study is close to some of the estimates made by other sources. (laughs) Okay. Like the Union, Lee lost some generals. I would assume. His report at the end of 5th May concluded with the gallant Brigadier General James M. J. M. Jones was moited. Brigadier General L.A. Stafford. I fear. <laughs> wow, L.A. Stafford. Right? <laughs> he says, I fear is mortally wounded while leading his command with conspicuous valor. His evening report for the 6th, mentions, 6th of May mentions the wounding of Longstreet and Brigadier General John Pegram with the death of Jenkins. Oh, Jenkins mm, dead? Jenkins. Uh, criticisms of the Union performance revolve around the woefully inadequate cavalry positioning. The decision to have Sheridan's most inexperienced general, who was Wilson, lead the smallest cavalry division to scout the Union Army's right flank was not a good one. Wilson's 3rd Cavalry Division was not of sufficient size to screen the Union front by itself, and Wilson got his division cut off from the remainder of the Union Army. Oh, shit. Earlier, Wilson's inexperience caused him to fail to leave pickets on the Orange Turnpike, resulting in a surprise for the Union infantry and contributing to the Union Army being forced to fight in the wilderness in the first place. Oh, my, oh, my. Well, this Wilson guy. Wilson. Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) Additionally, the decision to have the cavalry abandon Todd's Tavern on the 6th of May Led to a delay in getting the old Blue Coats Army to Spotsylvania Courthouse. Mm. A few of the cavalry's regimental commanders fought as well. Oh, they fought well, they fought such well. as Hammond, Brenton, and the first New Jersey Cavalry Regiment's Lieutenant Colonel John W. Kester. Good for you guys. Right. The performance of the Union infantry was also below expectations, and all four corps commanders accomplished very little. Mm. Discussions of the Confederate performance revolve around Lee, Longstreet, and Gordon. Lee put Ewell's and Hill's Corps into good position to face Meade, but kept Longstreet's first. Why is Meade never blamed for nothing? Right. But kept Longstreet's first Corps too far away. Hill and Ewell, 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 Ewell. (laughs) (laughs) Hill and, I can't say those words back to back. Hill and Ewell defended well on May 5th against enemy forces that were larger. Uh. Lee's decision to let Hill's Second Corps men to rest on the evening of May 5th instead of performing their lines was called by historian Peter S. Carmichael a horrendous decision, maybe the worst of his career. Uh-oh. Longstreet's men fought well under his direction, but they enjoyed only brief success after Longstreet retired from the field wounded. Well, that's fantastic. Wow. Oh, Longstreet, surely aware that Jackson was mortally wounded by friendly fire in the same wilderness a year earlier. Disregard, right, I didn't even right? think about that. Stupid. Right. <sighs> Old Stonewall, idiot. Disregarded advice and rode into friendly fire where he was wounded and others were moited. Dude got lucky. He's so lucky. Yule and his second corps defended well, 
and the criticism of Yule and Early by Gordon for delaying his flanking maneuver is not justified at all. Well, you know what, Gordon, you didn't do what you're supposed to do, but right. Early had received incorrect intelligence that the Union Ninth Corps was moving between the river and the Confederate left flank, which con- contributed to his caution against using his outnumbered troops to attack the entrenched Union infantry. Well, the Battle of the Wilderness had no obvious winner, and neither side was driven from the battlefield. <laughs> the National Park Service calls the battle indecisive. Oh. One historian says that Lee won a victory because he fought Grant to a standoff. But he also adds that the battle was a failure for the Confederacy because it was unable to maintain the initiative and Lee's offensive capacity was eliminated. Right. And uh, it was like a home game for Lee. Right. And nobody did nothing, though. No ground was gained and people were killed. That's about it. A major point discussed by historians is that after the battle, Grant did not retreat north across the nearest river like the other leaders earlier in the war, though. (laughs) Instead, the Union Army continued south, presenting a threat to Lee's army in the Confederate capital city of Richmond. See? Exactly what the hell they needed to be doing. It's all right, boys. We'll just keep on moving. I think Grant realized, dude, we got numbers, dude. And we lose 5,000 more than these guys. We'll still get more in reinforcements and press these motherfuckers. And I don't think Lee expected him to do flee. I think he knew he was going to do this because Lee's like, Grant ain't like the rest of them, boys. Well, who's here to fight? I think we somebody said it earlier in this episode didn't they that they told lee that uh grant would not oh right back down right he's gonna be on her ass the whole way mm-hmm. this was the first time in virginia campaign that the army of the potomac continued on the offensive after an initial battle and morale was boosted to the point that the old blue coats sang as they marched south and they're like i can see it in a movie or something <laughs> like the first time you hear that yeah I just seen a That'd be like a Confederate song, though, right? Right, and it'd be like the music would get slow, and then there'd be like Lee, I mean Grant, and somebody riding horses in the back. Right, and you can hear the. That was a mighty fought battle there. Well, to things to be done, to eareth we will. I don't know how they talk. Morel, we're at an all-time high. Pass me that bottle. Uh, Scheumann, he called this movement the grandest act of Grant's life. And don't count the four years. Well, of you know, the presidency. And <laughs> I think it was eight years. But. Maybe, yeah. And added that he now felt the rebellion will be crushed. Look at him, dude. Turn the whole freaking thing around. Kidding. The battle conformed a... Uh, there you go. The battle conformed a warning made by Longstreet to Lee about Grant that he would fight every day and every hour to the end of the war, quote, unquote. Portions of the wilderness... Battlefield are preserved as part of Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park, which was established in 1927. Hey, about time. Right. To memorialize the battlefields of Fredericksburg, Chancellorsville, Spotsylvania Courthouse, and the Wilderness. In addition to the land that has been protected by the National Park Service, two major volunteer organizations have been active in preservation activities. The Friends of the Wilderness Battlefield, Friends of the Wilderness Battlefield, have been active in helping to preserve and enhance Elwood Manor, which is the Lacey House which was the headquarters for Major General Warren during the battle, and is the site of a family cemetery where Confederate Lieutenant General Stonewall Jackson's arm was buried. (laughs) Just the arm. It's a family cemetery, though. Uh, The American Battlefield Trust and its partners have saved more than 294 acres through mid-2023. Fantastic. All right, still building up on that. All right, good for you guys. I need a bunch of shit here and there every once in a while. I bet. It's ridiculous. 
100,000 troops on each side, damn near. Uh, that battlefield has to be just a plus. I mean, it's not only the wilderness. You got like six battles, major battles that were fought on this very same spot. Right, in the past three years. Crazy. And that, my friends, is the Battle of the Wilderness. It's the biggest battle of 1864, I'm pretty sure. And it was a dud for a winner. That's all right. Some action, though. A lot of people lost a lot in Vegas on this one. <laughs> yeah, they took the under. Right. But a lot of people did win. Uh, the ones that were supporters of Grant and the Yankees that were against it. He's going to do just like the rest of them did. He's going to scurry back to D.C. And then we're going to be back in square one. Right, I bet you it's a 10 to 1 odds he doesn't, uh, or 10 to 1 odds he retreats, bet you. Right. Coming up next, we got the Battle of Port Walt, Walt Hall Junction. Which is also in Virginia, which I'm assuming is part of this Overland campaign. Uh, nope, it's the B- Bermuda 100 campaign. Wow. Um, and we got Benjamin Butler. Hey, I haven't seen that guy in a while. That's like a paragraph long. So Yeah, it's also a freaking uh, four to one. This guy has advantage. Right. Um, and then we'll probably have the, well, we will have the Battle of Calcasu Pass in Louisiana. Oh, right. Going, down Going back to Louisiana again. Then we got the Battle of Rocky Face Ridge in Georgia. And then it's a Virginia party. We got the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse, Battle of Swift Creek, Battle of Cloyd's Mountain, Chester Station, Cove Mountain, Yellow Tavern, <laughs> Proctor's Creek, all in uh, Virginia over the next. It's the Battle of Rocky Face Ridge, and you got to go down Ayo Mick Road. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and Bum Boulevard. <laughs> yeah, Bum! We got a lot of action coming up because we're in fear. These Confederates are about to be... Uh, we got two major armies just north Georgia, of... Georgia and Virginia. One north of Richmond and one just south. Richmond, north of Richmond. Uh, well, then we got the Army of Tennessee. Yeah, that's the east. And that's like 100,000 men over there. So so. It's like they went all the way around... Well, wait, Mississippi what, what was Sherman's what was Sherman's army That's called? Smart. He might be the Sherman might be the army Dude, of the Tennessee. That is smart. Instead of going straight to Richmond, they went to the Mississippi River and pushed east. That's crazy. <laughs> nope. Army of Tennessee is the Confederates in this one. Right, the but the region. military division of Mississippi, which is right. just started in eighteen sixty three. Damn. Mm. Yeah, see, yeah, the military division of Mississippi consisted of three armies, which was the Army of Tennessee. McPherson's. Uh, the Army of Ohio and the Army of the Cumberland, too, yeah. So All that's right. that's three big armies, dude. All right. Joseph Hooker. They had 112,000. And then on the other side, only 50,000. Wow, it was 112 versus about 60,000. That's nuts. Oh, no, 60,000 infantry, 11,000 cavalry. So just say the whole fucking thing. So it was 71, 78,000 about right. to 112. Yeah, so we got a lot of action coming up the rest of this uh, year. That Atlanta campaign lasts a while. We got a lot of Virginias. Oh, dude, it's just nothing but Virginia. Virginia and Georgia, pretty much. A couple of Tennessees rounding out this year. Mm. Wow. We already know the outcome, but, geez, let's get some action. Wilderness, Battle of the Wilderness, the first action-packed episode we've had of uh, 1864. And a big battle, and of course, first thing to happen. The big of the battle. <laughs> the big of the battle, and first thing to happen is old freaking uh, Confederate blunders in the wilderness. Again, they didn't learn for the first time. Could have lost their second-best general. Well, after they already lost their second-best general, right. so. Jeez, these guys. Right. These guys. These guys. Yeah, but we'll have uh, at least four, probably. 
Okay, so maybe Spotsylvania will be its own, and we'll definitely... So in that case, we'll definitely have Port Walhall, Battle of Calcaso Pass, and Battle of Rocky Face. I don't know, though, because those are only like a paragraph, so maybe we'll have all four. I don't know. We, we don't know. We don't know. We'll, we'll be back next week, though. So, But go check it out. I even... Oh, no, I did it. I forgot. I did it the other day. Go check out our YouTube at Bang Dang Network. You can get this on the day it releases Fridays, plus Outlaws and Gunslingers, Lee and Corey on the case are exclusive only to YouTube, Dart League, as well as shorts, clips, and all of the like. Go subscribe over there. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple, give us a review. And for you Spotifyers, give us uh, a respond to our comment that's on each one of these episodes. Share us with your friends, and we will be back for more battles of this American Civil War. We'll be back next week for Mother Music Andrew. Oh, bang, bang. Uh,